Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. In today's episode, I'm chatting to Brian Hodell, Senior Analyst in the Business Systems Team at T-Mobile, about the professional developer perspective of low-code. We talk about how adding this tool to the developer toolkit has enabled complex solutions to be built at speed, how low-code has been adopted by staff at executive level to those on the ground, and why Brian is so passionate and optimistic about the future of this technology. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Why don't you start by giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and what you get up to at T-Mobile? So uh, my name is Brian Hodell. I work at T-Mobile and uh, I'm a developer on the Power Platform. I primarily work on a tool called Orbit, which is essentially a project intake and approval review um, program that uh, allows executives to go through and allocate resources and, and prioritize commitments. So Brian, you probably have a lot of different tools in your toolbox as a developer. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about what sort of tools you're using. You know, perhaps is low-code one of those? Yeah, absolutely. Low-code is the main thing that I use at T-Mobile because it allows us to move very quickly and to really straight through the agile cycle and, and show the business users um, things that, uh, that they want in a very quick uh, turnaround method. I want to start by talking to you a little bit about the first moment you discovered low-code, because this is going to be the main crux of our discussion today. I'd love you to kind of cast your mind back and think about when you first came across it. What was it that intrigued you about it? I My background is a lot of different areas, but I have a lot of continuous improvement background, so Six Sigma and Lean. And one of the things that's been really challenging over that time and those roles was that there was always a gap between the process improvement in the IT. There's always this this idea that, okay, well, we need to make these changes, but then we can't make these changes because they're very cost prohibitive or time prohibited. We can't do that. So it was quite a few years ago, uh, really around the, the, um, the first releases of Power Apps, that I started building simple solutions to get around roadblocks. We had technical challenges. And I really just fell in love with the tool and the, and the platform as it grew because it bridges that gap that you usually have because you can go in and not have to rely on a development team to solve a technical challenge that you had. You could have people build apps and solutions that uh, that you could rely upon because they're in the Microsoft platform and um, and be mission critical, but uh, but stuff that really just solved the simple problems. Was there anything about it that kind of made you nervous that, you, you know, because I think there's a lot of perceptions around low codes, perhaps not being able to be, you know, fit for purpose or used at scale or be something that's really central and crucial in an organization. Was any of that going around in your mind at the time? Or is, is that a fair kind of nervous tick to have? <laughs> uh, you know, originally, yes, absolutely. Because when the product was first released, there were a lot of things that it couldn't do like any sort of platform that comes out. I think uh, any sort of tool, there's the idea that it's going to grow and change uh, and and more features are going to be added. But really, I think that it has shifted uh, over the past few years to be a more encompassing solution. So now you can absolutely put in tons of code 
Um, you can custom design uh, modules to import and, and features. And I haven't run into any significant roadblocks in the, the past year or so. But originally, yes, there were some challenges because it was really specifically a low-code platform. I mean, you have the only low-code piece, uh, you're going to run into things that you can't do because it just hasn't been designed yet. Um, I think those things have been opened up more in the past year. So for anyone who's listening to this podcast who perhaps hasn't come across low code before, and, you know, I'm talking a bit more in general terms here about the the kind of concept of low code, regardless of the platform, how would you kind of sell it to someone who's kind of intrigued? What actually is low code and and why are we even bothering to talk about it? Um, I think that the the low code aspect, what that means to me is that you don't have to be a developer. There could be developers out there that that drive forklifts, but if somebody, that's their skill set, right? They're, They're definitely not a developer, they can get in here and you know, maybe take the app of the day class, which is something I always recommended. Um, and and after essentially what a day of training, they could go in and they could build solutions to scan products and create a list and say a pick list and log these things into what they're doing. And it really doesn't take somebody with a really strong background or any background really in development or code to go in there and solve problems and to build apps. And for you as someone who does have, you know, a level of backgrounds and expertise, I mean, you talked a little bit about this gap closing. Would you say that the kind of benefit for you of low code is more of a, I guess, business solution? Or do you really feel that actually from a technical perspective and from a coding perspective, it makes more sense than perhaps other other options? I always look at, and then this is probably because of my sort of background in the continuous improvement side, I don't like to build something or to implement something that only one person or a small specialized group can work and maintain. So one of the benefits of low code is that I can build something out and build a lot of pieces out that are very complex and, and to do something like like Orbit that has the ability to do very complex things and obviously requires quite a bit of code But there are aspects of it that I don't have to be the only person to go in or they don't have to ask for a technical resource. So using the -the out-of-the-box features of low code allows other people in more administrative tasks to go in there and make changes that are at that level without the development code aspects. And I think that's one of the features that really helps is that you can push back on other resources of teams that are using the tools without them necessarily having to schedule into a sprint with a development team and prioritize. And so you can kind of make a bigger, uh, more diverse pool of people that can support things and to make changes. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? What A little bit more about Orbit? Yeah, Orbit is um, essentially anything that has a customer impacting role of any sort, so device promotions, projects, service offers, anything throughout the organization, even things that that, uh, are sort of more back-end things like um, infrastructure upgrades, Uh, that all has to be submitted through the Orbit intake tool, and then it goes through a prioritization process with the executive teams to basically make sure that we are going in the right direction, we're prioritizing our resources and allocating those resources in the correct manner. So there's approval workflows, there's attachments, there's various forms and data that goes through their workflows. Um, it's a it's a pretty in-depth tool. Amazing. So let's go into a little bit deeper. Um, why did you decide that low code was right for this particular example? You know, what was this problem you were trying to solve? With Orbit, I was brought in specifically to take over the tool 
that had been built previously by a consulting firm. And it was built on SQL. So that was a decision that was kind of already made. But once I got into it, I agreed it was because of the way that they had to get very specific interfaces and very uh, specific design for things. There wasn't any way to find anything off the shelf. You wouldn't be able to find a, a solution off the shelf that would do all of these things and have the look and feel. So it was either custom build something out of code or custom build an overlay GUID over another application or something. So there's, there's just a lot of complications with doing those. And of course, they're all full code. So this low code allowed the ability to go in and build this application without having to have a specialized team hired on full-time just to maintain this one app. So I wonder if you could paint a little picture, um, sort of the story of Orbit and kind of how this use case came to be. What was the sort of, and I know you inherited this project, but I'd love to hear a little bit about what was the problem that needed solved um, that this kind of solution came in and has really been able to, to help you guys move forward as a company? So this started a while ago, and, and of course, in an organization the size of T-Mobile, there are, there's a lot of initiatives. If you look at every single promotion, every single deal, every project, everything that goes on that requires uh, any sort of resources, developer resources or financing or anything else, there's a lot that goes through there. And there's a lot of priorities that need to be balanced and managed and a lot of people that interact with that. Now, at the level that these things need to be approved at, it, quite a bit of it is at the VP level. And so that was one of the concerns was moving this from, which it currently, which it previously was, emails and Excel and different reports that were just really time consuming and there was really not a lot of automation or anything in there. There needed to be a way to give this information to the executives to quickly review take action on to either approve or reject, change priorities, move things around to really manage all that stuff. And there needed to be a way for them to easily go in and see what was going on and make those decisions quickly because at that level, everything needs to be fairly easy for them to go in, do their act and move on. And there wasn't anything like that. The tools that were existing in the organization would have probably worked, but it would have required a lot of training. They weren't really built out for this purpose so it's a lot of clicks, a lot of digging into things. And they were really looking for a simple solution to address this that was really powerful on the back end. And so that was what the decision was to build out something that was really tailored towards efficiency, but also having a lot of power and control in the back end. What technology enables you to leverage LoCode? What, what sort of solution or partner do you use? Oh, we use pretty much everything with, with Orbit. Um, so Power Automate for various workflows, approvals, and Power Apps, of course, for the Canvas and model-driven apps, maybe both versions of that. There's UI flows within their um, approvals workflow. I think there's probably a few other things. There's, there's Power BI is, is one of the things that's, that's also part of the platform that's crucial. So really, we're utilizing all of these things, even in Teams. We have quite a bit of stuff that's centralized in Teams to move all of those things into one place. So across the whole platform, Orbit really encompasses pretty much every one of the tools that's in that platform and use, utilizes it pretty heavily. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges perhaps you might have encountered in your experience with using low code? I'm thinking, you know, were there any barriers or resistance from other developers or, or managers? Is there a concern? It looked like cutting corners. There was a bit of a concern around it originally because 
it wasn't a platform that was currently used. And anytime you bring in a new platform into an organization, there's concern that um, there's not redundancy of resources to maintain it or to support it. Um, then, you know, how does that fit into the existing, say, support structure? If somebody has a problem or they need to help with something, they have a question, where are the resources for that? So there was, it, really, that was the main concern was just how do we bring in this new tool that's built and really a limited n- number of people know about it and how to work with it. But I think that uh, we've been able to establish that it was a good decision and people are more comfortable with it now over, it's been about a year and a half, I think, since it was really widely spread through those organizations. But people are more comfortable with it now. And especially with the growing use of the Power Platform in the organization, we're bringing on additional people to uh, specialize in building out the more complex, the more um, actual, like, pro developer type tools um, in Power Platform now. Mm, so tell us a little bit more about that. You're saying kind of beyond the the pro developers, what what do you mean when you say bringing on different kind of expertise or different kind of people to, to work on the platform? Right, so th- there's there's been a growing adoption of the Power Platform over the last couple of years. We have a lot of apps that for different from, even from frontline people building stuff out um, to manage things in the stores for, say, COVID and how we're managing that or, or moving inventory, creating tickets to help things in like help desk sort of a format. So there's a lot of pretty basic and yet pretty powerful, widely used apps that have been built out in the platform. Now that it's been really more established through the visibility of Orbit and the power that was built into it, there's more of an investment now being made in bringing on pro developers so that we can use this platform that a lot of people are still using throughout the organization, but with uh, bringing in the skill sets to expand on the capabilities by embedding uh, you know, custom code and, and custom features in there. You mentioned earlier on in the discussion the idea that, um, I think you used the idea of a forklift truck, but as someone who's who's perhaps not a pro developer, being able to conceive of an app and, and build it using low code, have there been opportunities for people in the organization who aren't part of the developer team, you know, being able to conceive and think up different apps that they might need, whether it's, as you say, uh, managing the response to COVID or, or elsewhere, um, and being able to use what you guys have built with Orbit as the sort of jumping off point for that. Absolutely. Yeah, there are apps specifically talking about Power Apps, but there's also a lot of uh, Power Automate that's been built out, Power BI, the rest of the platform. But yeah, there, there are quite a few apps that have been built out, um, tools in general that have been built out by frontline people, people that are not developers, people that just have as part of their O365 license, the ability to go in and, and access these tools and build things. Um, and as it grows out, I think there's more of a communication that this is really easy to get into and to build up custom solutions to solve your everyday problems. What sort of projects, um, you know, or where do you think low code is the best approach to take? You know, do you have a sort of established set of criteria that you use to decide, you know, we're going to use a low code approach or we're going to go full hog on this? <laughs> so a few years ago, I would, have, I would have said that there was there was more of a criteria on how it was going to be built. But um, over the last year, I think I've come to realize that there's there's really nothing that we we can't do in the platform. The features that we've built and the performance that we've gotten out of the Orbit tool is pretty amazing. I mean, we, we, they, they did a lot of stuff and the ability to custom build out that solution um, is really, really powerful. 
I mean, maybe if you were to say there's an out-of-the-box solution that you just want and it works for what you need to do, that's great. So if you really need a, say, Dynamics 365 and, and you're, you're doing a sales org and you need that and it's out of the box and you can just customize a few things to make it work, then by all means do that. Uh, but even then, I would say that there's a lot of potential to make things easier and better uh, by implementing things in the Power Platform. Microsoft Power Apps gives employees of all skill levels the tools they need to build professional apps that run on web, iOS, and Android without writing a single line of code. By extending the power of app development beyond the IT department, Power Apps enables anyone from frontline workers to line of business employees to innovate, improve business processes, and automate repetitive or manual job functions. Watch a demo by following the link in the episode description. One of the um, themes, I guess, that we speak a lot about on this show is about how technology can kind of help bridge gaps, um, you know, whether it's between different departments in companies or between customers and companies or what have you. And with low code, does it play a role in helping bridge gaps internally? You know, I'm thinking between, you know, a team of developers and then the people, you know, shall we say at the coalface or the business development team or the executives, you know, what kind of I suppose, linchpin role does low code have for you guys? I think that it plays a, a variety of roles. As it's getting more attention and, and people are seeing more of the capabilities, I think that the people are just more excited and looking at more opportunities to implement things because they can see how quickly we can look at a problem, develop a solution, and then iterate on that solution to expand it or make it better. It really goes into the agile methodology of let's get something quick and then build on it. Yeah, absolutely. I think particularly when you're talking about people in the organization being able to understand the process of pulling together new pieces of software, new apps, new processes to do the job a little bit better. You know, it's, instead of it going to a very deep expertise technical team and not really understanding how long things take to build or how costly things are and so on and so forth, perhaps low code can, can play a role in helping bridge that gap. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the challenges. I mean, it's no secret that T-Mobile, I mean, branded as the uncarrier. So we're constantly pushing the boundaries. We're constantly chasing to even improve upon what we're doing. And I'm not even necessarily looking at what the competition's doing, but we're always looking at the next horizon and, and trying to get there uh, as fast as possible. And, and when you have an organization that moves so quickly and changes so quickly, you really need the ability to, to have a, a technology that... Uh, moves and changes uh, just as quickly. We're constantly, we're on a two-week development cycle for Orbit, and constantly there are you know, business org changes that are being implemented. There are different options, uh, different team structures. We're just constantly changing. And, and one of the things that you really want to be able to do in technology is to keep up with that, because nobody wants technology to be the the sort of uh, the roadblock in that development. And you also don't want to have to train everybody on what it means to develop a technical solution, right? People on the business side, they know what they need and this is what they need. And you don't want to have to explain why there are problems or what they can do with the technical side. You just say, okay, this is what we can do. Here's what it looks like. Does this work? And, and go to the editor of cycle. And you can really just move forward really quickly with that. 
Thinking about your review cycle, you know, we were talking earlier on about um, sort of anyone being able to propose problems that they have in need of a solution. Does anyone have the autonomy to create tools um, in the low-code environment or do they still go through your team and, you know, you guys review which ones are going to be done first? Yeah, really the Power Platform, uh, Power Apps and such is is available to anyone that wants to build. And that's a a lot of the people that have built tools out in the organization have just found it and um, or heard about from other people and built um, simple things to um, to support their daily work or their team's work. Um, so anyone has the ability to do that. We are in the process of implementing more policy changes with the Center of Excellence that say certain connectors that we don't necessarily want everybody to have access to right off the bat, those do require an approval. But all of the the standard connectors for things like Outlook and Office and everything else, those are available to everybody. So, And it's encouraged for everybody to just go in there and to solve problems uh, as they see. Speaking of moving forward and looking forward, what is next? What possibilities can low-code unlock? We're really excited about some of the things that are coming out. Uh, The UI flows uh, is is really something that's super powerful, and we've just uh, recently been integrating that with our app. For instance, one of the things we just went through was a big integration with Sprint. And there are, of course, a lot of legacy systems that Sprint is using that, uh, that we need to be able to integrate with. And so the option is either we go through a really quick migration and we move everything, which is just a lot of resources, especially at this time when everything's being merged, or we develop custom interfaces through APIs or something and all of that. But then then that's challenging as well because you have to deal with the authentication and the different access methods. And it's just, it gets really complicated when you do that. Plus that really goes into a really full development cycle. So we can use things like UI flow to integrate with those things. And it's it's really a low code thing because you're just basically recording a macro on top of their interface. And then you can move on, right? 20 minutes, you have a way to create a record in one system or another, pull data back, and you could just move forward. And I think that's essentially what the Power Platform allows is you just solve a quick problem and move on to the next thing and not have to dwell and to plan out weeks and weeks of development time to solve one problem. Yeah, I really like what you just said there about being able to just quickly solve problems. You spoke earlier on about how you have these two-week development cycles around Orbit. And of course, now that you're implementing this new platform, you can really think about problems in a whole new way as well. But how do you guys think about choosing stuff to work on? Because there's always, always things that can be updated, but then there's also experimenting that can be done and, and big ideas or small ideas and which ones to focus on first. So how do you, I guess, choose and plan? Because there is still an element of planning, of course, despite the fact that you're using these technologies that allow for speed. How do you think about that process of choosing what to work on next? We have uh, we have quite an extensive backlog actually on, on Orbit just because it's it's such a widely used tool. And there's, of course, the more people you have in there, the more people that have opinions on what things need to be uh, done. And we, we have a review cycle. So weekly we go through and review things that are in prioritize. So the business side does prioritize certain things based on, say, the impacts of the customer, uh, the impact of the business, uh, what, uh, you know, regulatory concerns, um, things like that. And so they, they rate them and they go through and prioritize them and then they come up and, and then me with the with the rest of like the, the product owners and, and such, we go through and we sort of prioritize internally among that what we can do in this sprint cycle, what we can put on the next sprint cycle and keep that um, momentum going. 
How do you balance trying out new technologies, new platforms that are being released by, you know, various different companies that are creating enterprise software um, and development tools versus, as you say, getting through this massive backlog, you know, because of course you have to put that investment in discovering new tools, new technologies, new companies. And um, but at the same time, you know, you got to get the day job done. So how do you guys balance that? <laughs> I mean, I, I really like the tool, so I get really excited about it. So even on my own time, <laughs> I, I sort of go through there and I'm playing with things like UI flows or, or um, new, new data structures and features and um, uh, the, the, so that's the, one of my passions. But uh, in each sprint cycle, there is a certain percentage that we we allow for. So there's a, there's a certain percentage that we say we're going to be building new features, a certain percentage that's that's always fixed for bug um, bug fixes, and then a certain percentage that's for helping out other people in the organization with questions they have. Because as we as we grow, there's always people that are looking to sort of expand the uh, the capabilities beyond what they know how to do in the platform. And um, and then in investigating new things and work really closely with the Microsoft engineers and, and the product teams over there, so we get to see what's going on, what's coming up next, and to try out new things. And so originally it was a little bit of a challenge because you have this team that says, "Well, we need this product, we need it built, we need it done." As we've introduced the new features and the new capabilities and sort of kept them up to speed, they've seen a lot more value in sort of riding that wave of what's coming out, what's new, and what the capabilities are. And so that's been more of a, I guess, a priority for them is is for me and the other people on the team to be investigating these new features and seeing what we can do with the new things that are coming out. What do you see as the biggest benefit of using low-code? I think it allows people to go in and solve problems themselves. And that's something I've always been really excited and really passionate about as a continuous improvement uh, expert in my, my uh, other roles, uh, is, is putting the tools uh, in front of people that allow them to make changes and improve their daily work themselves. And that's exactly what I think the biggest thing of low code is, is it allows anyone to go in there and, and really say, I have a problem um, I'm going to build a solution for it instead of saying I have a problem. Um, I need this person to go and, and solve it for me. What piece of advice or lessons do you have for developers or organizations that are interested in low code? You know, perhaps they're they're listening in on this podcast. Where do they start, and is there a clear process needed to get going? Yeah, there are actually a lot of resources, and there's a lot of documentation. There's a lot of in the uh, Microsoft has the certification process that, that's coming out, so you can go through different paths to learn how to do things. I always recommend people go through the the app at a day or the dashboard in a day. Those are really great classes, and even sometimes you know go through them again because like now they have things where they started using like UI flows, which is one of the things I keep coming back to, which is because just because it's new and it's it's really really cool. Um, but that's now that's integrated in with the app in a day, I believe, and it wasn't before. So there's just so much in there. And that, that app in a day gives you a really quick run through of how to get going, how to build the basic stuff. And I always sort of compare to SharePoint. You can get in and you can do a lot of stuff really easily. And then all of a sudden, it gets to the point where you see, oh, God, there's I can do anything with SharePoint. <laughs> so everybody can go in and, and create lists and, and document libraries. And then suddenly, you know, you can do custom things. You can build entire, you know, in-depth websites and, and interfaces through SharePoint. And that's the same kind of thing is here, is that you have that ability to build anything you can think of when you learn how to use the tools. But really, anyone can go through with a basic understanding with some of the 
um, the resources, even powerapps.com and, and you go in there and, um, and you, there's a, a tab, learn, and it gives you all kinds of resources and walks you through in these great step-by-step tutorials. You've spoke a lot about UI flows, obviously, as something that's clearly um, really exciting you. I wonder if you could just quickly uh, give us perhaps a little example or, um, you know, a use case that you really love that you saw that was kind of the thing that made you realize how powerful it could be. Yeah. So one of the last thing I did, and actually, I think it was just yesterday we completed this one, was another one of the Sprint integration tools. So they have a go-to-market system. Orbit is essentially a go-to-market approval system. And so there were similar systems on both sides, and it's going to be quite a while before we can integrate those systems fully because it's, you know, just training and moving the data and everything else. Uh, So we needed a way to sync those. And their system didn't have great documentation on APIs, so we just used UI flows. And so we we have an unattended flow that runs, and every single time that something's created in orbit and it reaches a certain phase and approval cycle, that record is then input into their system so they can be using their system without having to necessarily jump between different interfaces and learn things at the same time. And it took maybe 20 minutes, if that. It's, it, was, it was so simple to do. Um, there's no way we could have learned the system and developed the APIs to, um, <laughs> to, to make that work in that, that shorter period of time. Amazing, Brian. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show and for giving us so many examples, but also just for your enthusiasm. I think one of the the big things to get across with some of these technologies is, um, I don't know, just how much it can really enhance uh, what you're doing simply because it's fun and interesting and is more powerful than perhaps people expect. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Brian's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Learn how Microsoft Power Apps gives employees of all skill levels the tools they need to build professional apps that run on web, iOS and Android without writing a single line of code. Watch a demo by following the link in the episode description.